Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Morning. Hi, I'm Mike Van Fleet. I am an elder here at the church. So glad you're here. Uh, this is my wife, Sherry. Uh, you get to see her quite a bit more than me because she's like doing announcements in the welcome message all the time. She actually was doing double duty today because we're a little bit short staffed, so she was announcements and since she's up here, we're going to teach this thing together. So it's going to be new and interesting and fun. She got to be up here uh, about last summer, teach a message series with Ben a couple times. Uh, and that was pretty good. We all got sort of blessed by that. Uh, and I get to come up and teach. Uh, usually when Ben is out of town, uh, if he's out trying to get himself some break, which is really awesome. We love when Ben lets himself take a break. Uh, so he's out for a month. And Matt Miller, our other pastor, is out in Japan. And so I'm going to be teaching two weeks in a row. Uh, and for this Sunday, which is Mother's Day is always a special day. We, we tend to stop and do a, a unique and special message for Mother's Day. Uh, ben and I were talking about, well, what would it be like if we had two people teach the message at the same time? It's not like the, you know, it's not rocket science, but let's give it a shot. We decided to do it because we're both up here. Uh, so hopefully your guys are in for a treat. Yeah, Mike and I were really excited about the prospect of teaching together. We figured it would be one of the most rewarding experiences of our lives or we would never, ever do it again. Um, but it's worked out pretty well for us. Um, you know, just think about how you prepare for something like this. We have very different styles for preparation, but it worked out really well. We have two kids. Avery is going to be um, in the sixth grade next year, middle school. I am not ready for it, but that's okay. And then Nathan is going to be in third grade. So we've got two kiddos. And we figure if anything else, you will have a little bit of insight of what it's like to be them in our house. Uh, when they ask us any kind of question, they've learned very early on to tell us if they want the long or the short answer. Um, we've got two teacher types in the house, so they're kind of, you know, that can be good and bad for both of them. Um, but as Mike mentioned, Mother's Day in the church is really, you know, it's something significant. If you grew up in a in a, a traditional church like me, you might be, um, you know, we handed out carnations to all the, all the women, or uh, you might have like the mom with the most kids stand up, or the oldest mom, nobody wants to stand for that, right? <laughs> or, um, you know, the newest mom, I've seen lots of little babies in the back this morning. I and think so, Denise is the newest mom, she had her baby this week. Oh, did she? Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's going to be somebody out there who's like, no, it was no. me. It was like three um, days ago. <laughs> Um, but, and this morning actually we're handing out, uh, the youth are handing out candy bars to all the women, so hunt down a youth and you can get a candy bar. Um, but part of our tradition here is to do those little gifts and also to play a funny video like mom goggles or something like that. But this morning we set a little bit different tone with our video because it's really important to us that you all understand that, that, um, that all women, you know, mothers and women should really be, be honored and cherished this morning. Yeah. And if, if you're new to us or new to the church, new, a nice new Christ follower, you could be paying attention to, you know, what does the church choose to teach on on Sunday morning, maybe even trying to figure out what's the point of the sermon message. And you could come up with an insightful question that some of us that did grow up in church aren't gonna, it's not gonna occur to us, which is, why do churches take time out for Mother's Day and teach a special message? It's not a church holiday, it's a secular holiday. Why that holiday and no other holidays? Certainly we'll mention you know, Memorial Day or Veterans Day might get a little like recognition event, like let's stand and recognize our men of service, et cetera. But, and women. And women, you're right. <laughs> the, uh, but that was good. Were you saving that from last service? No, I was just 
No, I wasn't. Oh, I good. didn't notice last good. service. But yeah, <laughs> have, have our first responders rise, uh, what have you. Um, but for Mother's Day, uh, it's just something unique and special about Mother's Day that causes us to break out of our normal uh, sermon series. The last two weeks, we talked about the Beatitudes. Ben opened it up. Matt taught the first one. Take a break on Mother's Day. Next week, I'm going to be teaching on what it's like to be meek and we'll go on. And so there's something about um, this holiday that causes us as the church to take a break and address it. And you, you kind of are figuring it out a little bit. I'm sure there's a little bit. But we're going to talk about that today. Um, it's, it's certainly not because Mother's Day has some deep connection back to church history. If you Google it uh, and try and figure out why is Mother's Day Mother's Day in America, why don't I know who started Mother's Day? And there's some reasons for that. You know, there's lots of traditions, lots of countries do Mother's Day. Uh, there's different dates for it. In the United States, it was mainly credited to a lady who, uh, right around the 1900s, campaigned to have it be a special day to honor her mother who had some connection to the Civil War. And it took her a few, I don't know, maybe almost a decade. She made it happen. Mother's Day got, you know, declared by the president as a government or official holiday. It got placed on Sunday. And then in the next decade, Wanamakers and Hallmark kind of grabbed a hold of it, saw a sweet opportunity to build a huge commercial empire. And they did. Um, they did. And she got bitter about that. And then flipped around and just said, I will abolish Mother's Day. I will stop what I have started. And, and she probably was like the only person that like doesn't like Mother's Day like publicly. Uh, but that's, it's, it's not because of any of those things. Um, but there's other reasons. So, you know, you can find it a bit uncharacteristic that, that we take a break. I mean, we are super committed to teaching directly out of Scripture. Uh, you know, the holidays that we do take are for Christmas and Easter, very strong connection to, you know, scriptural holidays, but we, uh, we, take, a bit, we take a break for, uh, for Mother's Day. Um, and and it, you know, we have a heritage. Ben's teaching style has always been defined by strong connection to the Bible. He's always saying, let's get your Bible out, let's read it, let's birth our messages from there. When we do our trailhead class, if you had a chance to be in our trailhead class where we welcome people to the church, we talk to people and go, so you've been to you know, Vail Church a couple of times. What do you like about it? What do you dislike? What's unique? What's different? One of the most common things that people will say is, we just love how you teach out of the scripture. We love that. I, I haven't been to a lot of the churches, so I don't know exactly why that comes out, but it's, it's part of our DNA. It's that way because Ben, it's that way because our elders, when we sit down to define where are we gonna go in the end? We kind of have this document that defines, you know, loosely, this is the direction our church is gonna be in, what, what we're striving to be. And we have a big one in there that says, we're under the authority of scripture. And we will take damage for that. We will always be under the authority of scripture no matter what it does to us, uh, because that's core to us. Uh, we have a little tagline that goes under that that says, all of our teaching in all of the ministry areas, whether it's children's or here, uh, it's gonna be irrevocably grounded in scripture and the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and so it, it's, it's a little bit interesting that, you know, we take time out for, uh, for Mother's Day. You know, one of the reasons obviously is on Mother's Day, we wanna do what mom wants. And a lot of times what mom wants is her family to be sitting with her in church. So moms who did that today, awesome, nice work. Uh, that's one of the reasons, but really behind that, there's just a special thing. And that's what we're gonna get into today is there is a special reason and there's some details around that on why Mother's Day causes us to take pause and teach a special message here uh, from the pulpit or you know, from the stage. Uh, and it has to do with 
connecting that, the direction we're gonna go is gonna connect that reason to how God chooses to reveal himself to us and the way he teaches him, teaches us about himself. Yeah, we can take a look at our, our nation, our society as a whole and kind of see where a lot of our, our institutions and our processes, uh, our holidays have kind of been stripped of the things that made them sacred. If we think of Christmas and, and um, just look at the Starbucks cup debacle, you know, of like 2016 or whatever it was, that, um, you know, Christmas has been stripped and Easter and um, even like we talked about the first responder holidays, the um, Memorial Day, uh, moments of silence, our Pledge of Allegiance, like these things that once really united us as a nation have sort of lost their sacredness. But Mother's Day has kind of escaped that thus far. Um, you know, we don't really mess with Mother's Day very much. Our nation has set the undertone that like moms are cool, don't mess with Mother's Day. Um, I tried to find a stat that, that said how, what percentage of tattoos are dedicated to moms. I couldn't find it. Nobody's done the data collection on that. But I think it's a really great picture of like, my own mother has a tattoo for her mom. So, um, so I know that they're out there. And, um, and so it's a good picture of like this place of honor that we, we put mothers in just as a whole as a nation. And we all know that um, Mother's Day is a Hallmark holiday. We know it, but we stand behind it. Yeah, you don't touch it. I mean, we all know that Colin Kaepernick, he got away with not standing up for the national anthem for a cause that was probably good, but totally unconnected to what he was doing. I'd like to see him try protesting Mother's Day to make his point. <laughs> Nobody's getting behind that, Colin. They won't support you. The Twitterverse will turn on you. Trust me, because like Sherry said, it's just, it's just uncool. Not everybody loves Mother's Day. There's reasons that it causes us to be sad and, and frustrated, um, but we kind of keep those in because it's such a celebration of someone who's done um, just so much for us. So the big point here is Mother's Day is sacred to us. Our moms are sacred to us, and that influences how we think about the holiday that we have to celebrate her. Okay, now, we're gonna teach us about, we're gonna teach today about how God um, teaches us about himself. And so let's shift over to how God teaches via symbolism. You know, he has this habit of revealing himself through symbols, through memorials, and um, that's how he teaches us about himself uh, through our mom. If you go back to the Old Testament, you know, you can see stories um, that are very wrought with symbols. Even back to the Genesis story, the snake is a perfect symbol of Satan. Somehow he just knew those go together. It gives us a great mental picture, not just the data, but it lets us feel it and see it and experience it. Most of us have kind of a fear of snakes and so that like, it just triggers us to have that same reaction to uh, who Satan is. Uh, there is the you know, story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was instructed to take Isaac, sacrifice him on an altar. Abraham is like, I've been wanting a son for a super duper duper long time. My wife was really old when we had him. I don't, I mean, and but then the symbol of God provided a ram. Once Abraham showed his obedience, provided a ram to be the perfect sacrifice, a symbol of what he was going to do thousands of years later with Jesus, his desire to provide a solution for sin. Uh, there's the Passover, very similar, right? It's a story about the final plague before the Israelite people got let go out of Egypt, put the blood of the lamb on your doorstop as a signal to the angel of death to pass over your family the symbolism of it was blood and in the future would be Christ's blood that would be the solution for the, our sin and cause the penalty of our sin 
to be, you know, it's going to pass over us uh, because of what Christ did. You know, there is the rock pile, you know, the rock pile that God told the Israelite people to build when they came across the river. Finally, after 40 plus years of wandering, they got across the Jordan River into Canaan and the Lord said, build a rock pile that will be a memorial, a symbol of what I've done for you here today. And those kind of things are there because God knows how we learn. He creates us. Um, If you look into uh, the New Testament, you see um, him using symbols in, you know, the Lord's Supper. This is the body of Christ broken for you, taken, eaten in remembrance of me. This is the blood of Christ shed for you and payment for your sins, taken, drink in remembrance of me. Those are symbols that allow us to taste and act and do and reflect. Those, those help us learn in multiple ways, not just in factual, but emotional. It, it triggers our memory. Um, the baptism symbol, right? Down into the water, united with Christ in his death, you come up cleansed and connected with him, signifying that you will rise again with him and be cleansed of your sin. Big time symbols. That's how the Lord tends to work. Even our marriage relationships, you know, Sherry is in my marriage relationship is supposed to demonstrate Christ's commitment to the church and that unbreakable union, his, his connection with the church. If you've been to a wedding ceremony that Ben's done, he teaches on that every single time because it's such a critical symbol of, of Christ and the church that are given through marriage. Um, these aren't just single scriptures that are you know, hunt and peck. This is across the Bible. You will see Old Testament and New Testament, this technique that um, God uses. And being able to pick up on that use of symbolism is critical to understanding. It's very important to understand what he's trying to teach us in scripture um, because he uses that language. It's, it's, it's super important. And if you've kind of unlocked that, all of a sudden you start to go, oh, I understand this. You can use it with your kids. I've spent time with uh, Avery, our, our young daughter, when she was very young, trying to go, this is what a symbol is. You know, teaching her, you know, she had little symbols like whatever cartoon she was looking at, like the Mickey Mouse head. When you see this Mickey Mouse head, what do you think of Mickey Mouse? Well, is it Mickey Mouse? No, it's just his head. It's a symbol. That, that is a technique that he uses. So um, we're gonna talk today about what is mom symbolized for us? What is, what is she a symbol of that causes us to go, oh, I see that in mom, but really that's a symbol of something greater. We can see the development of this symbol in the creation story. So the creation story is actually a poem and, and God uses these duality, these like pairings in order to, um, to teach us. And so these are complementary pairings. I think sometimes we like see like light and darkness and we think they're opposite, but they're actually complementary to one another. So we've got light and darkness, um, day and night, the sun and the moon, the land and the sea. And then, and then he gets down to this ultimate um, excuse me, complementary pairing, and it's, it's man and woman. And so the Godhead creates man and woman, but the kicker here is that he creates them in his image. And so now he's created this, this symbol of his character and his attributes to be distributed across man and woman, right? And so you and I are these walking, talking symbols of these attributes of God so that the world can, can better understand and absorb his character and who he is. And I can kind of see that play out in my, not kind of, I do, I see it play out in my life um, with the people around me. And, and you can see, you know, in, in men, we can see a reflection of God's character and leadership. We can see strength and sacrifice. We see uh, the desire to provide um, 
we can see just a, a greater headship over, over lots of things, right? And so because of the men that God has placed in my life, I've been able to, to better understand his character. So being brought up by my father, Gene, some of you know him, he taught me a ton of things. He taught me what it was like to wrestle with things spiritually and physically, um, you know, how to tackle things. He taught me what it was to be, to be strong, to be sacrificial, to make hard decisions in order to protect our family. And so I got to learn a lot from him um, about what a godly husband looks like, but also what um, the characters of God that are exhibited in men. And then with this guy over here, uh, he's taught me some things, I guess. No, he's been a really great leader to our family, and um, he has a really quiet, humble leadership that's been, um, that's been really revealing to me. And, uh, and he's, he works really hard for us. We, we recognize it in our family. He's definitely a servant for our family. And so, um, so because of these, this like, exposure to these godly men, I've been able to, to have a better connection to God as a person, to God's personhood and his character. And, and of course, similarly, the qualities that the Lord has put in women and moms, uh, they point us to his kind of key character, characteristics of mercy, loyalty, the desire to forgive when it's not deserved, the desire to comfort, the desire to sustain us. Uh, all those things have been lived out to me through my mom, through Sherry, uh, and it, it's revealing to me because I know uh, God put them there and it allows me to connect with God's heart. You know, because, you know, I'm a guy and the guys in the room, you don't necessarily connect with those emotions super well. So just reading about them doesn't necessarily do it for me. But having a living, breathing symbol, a model of those things, seeing my mom, you know, in the light of an adult looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and her commitment to me, I understand those things. Seeing Sherry, um, you know, be an awesome mom to our kids and wrestle through things um, to have a forgiveness that sort of comes back renewed every morning. <laughs> she has the ability to, to do that. Uh, it, it helps reveal it to me. Um, you know, it's natural for us based on how the family roles are set up in our way of kind of picturing God as, as you know, more masculine than feminine. We tend to see his traits of strength and leadership and power, maybe a little bit more in the forefront. But like Sherry was teaching in Genesis, the teaching is we are created humankind male and female, both in his image. There's nothing in there that says one versus the other. And so the best way to interpret that is together, um, we represent an image of God. All the roles that are in the church, men, women, father, mothers, kids, we represent him. Adam and Eve were just a, you know, they themselves were a symbol of all of us, but he created us in his image so that we could demonstrate uh, who he is. When we're talking about moms, um, you know, when, when moms live out the role that, that they are given, it displays more clearly some of these attributes of mercy and desire to forgive um, than anything else, far more than it, it, that it's shown in men. Um, you know, it's not black and white. It's not like the, the attributes of God of mercy are here and the attributes of power and leadership are here. You know, it's, it's not that way. But there are roles, there are... Um, Things that we do, there's by our nature, things that we exhibit, exhibit better. And that's what we're teaching is mercy, loyalty. We learn that really well through mom, more so maybe than through dad. So, you know, we have some good, like, uh, personal stories here and some things we want to try and connect with you about uh, how we see this in our lives and how we see it connecting to what's in Scripture, what the Lord is teaching us in his word.
Yeah, thank you. Um, we, I don't know about you, but I have some women in my life that like to feed me, okay? So that's like sort of the nature of women is to provide sustenance, you know, just like all of it. Um, no, but, but really, my, my grandmother, when my Oma actually, she passed when I was pretty young, but one of my solid memories of her is providing this pumpernickel bread with me, or for me, and she would spread tea worst on it. I don't know if anybody knows what tea worst is. It's spreadable meat, which doesn't sound Yuck. really great. Blended meat. But, <laughs> but it's, oh, it's so good. It's so delicious. Um, but that's, it's nostalgia, right, for me that that, that um, brings back memories of my Oma. And then uh, my, my mom's mom, my Grams, she um, has passed also, but she was like, the one who was in the kitchen all the time. I, whenever I went to their house, I would stand in the kitchen because she was preparing for the next meal, even if it was going to be like cereal. You know, she's got to like put out the bowls and like make sure everybody has what they want and everything. And, um, and so she would make a five-course meal and we'd sit down and we'd eat it and then we'd go into the living room and sit down and not five minutes later, she'd be like, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you hot? Are you cold? Do you need a blanket? Should we open a window? How about a footstool? Are you hungry? Like, it just start all over again, right? And I'm pretty independent, so I would be I was like, come on, Grams. Like, if I want something, I'm going to go get it, you know? Um, now I have kids for that, so that's even better. No, but honestly, they would, you know, my grandmother was just really her desire was to, fill, to fulfill my needs and to make sure that I had what I needed and to make sure that I was taken care of. And as I've gotten older, I've, I've grown to appreciate this, this trait, this reflection of God in my own mom. Um, you know, like I said, it's, it's easy for me to just want to push back a little bit, but she loves, it brings her joy to provide for me and to, to give me um, things that I might need or want and take care of me in, in that way. And I see her do that with my kids as well. And so this, this character quality comes directly from God. We can see it all throughout scripture. I'm going to give you a few examples. Um, one of them is in the book of Exodus chapter 16. We see God provide manna and quail for his Israelites that are wandering in the desert. He provides them with manna and quail for 40 years. Like that's a daunting task, okay? I remember when my daughter was two and I was making her lunch and I was like, I'm going to have to do this like for the rest of my life, make her lunch, you know? And it was a really daunting task. God did that for 40 years uh, for, the, for the Israelites. And then we have this really powerful story that I'm going to share with you that's found in 1 Kings 19. It's the story of Elijah. Now, Elijah has just, like, demolished the prophets of Baal. He has, like, mic-dropped this, like, God showdown. Um, where they've like, well, my God can do this. Well, my God can do this. And they were like battling. And so obviously um, our Lord and Elijah's God, he, he dominated. And, um, and part of that process was Elijah maybe taking the life of all of those prophets. So he should be like flying high, right? Like he, his God is glorified. He is dominated. He's proven everything to be legit and awesome. But come to find out, Queen Jezebel is super mad that he has killed all of her prophets. And so she puts a bounty out on his head. And, and so now Elijah, when he should be just really excited, has like this emotional like goes down because he's been working super hard. He's done everything God has asked him to do. And now he's like, and now I'm most likely going to die here any minute. And so he's resigned himself and just sort of just fallen into this depression. And uh, he drops his servant off at the nearest town and he wanders off into the desert. And, um, you know, he's exhausted physically because like 
beating the prophets of Baal was not like an easy task. And so he's, he's really drained, he's emotionally drained, and he sits down under, under this tree and he says, hey, God, I'm, you know, take me home. I'm ready. Because it's so much better in his mind to be taken by God, taken home by God, than to be killed at the hands of Jezebel, right? And so he's at this point of just like emotional and physical exhaustion and he falls asleep. Well, God sends an angel and the angel says, wake up, get up and eat. And so Elijah wakes up and he sees a piping hot bread and a jug of water. And so he eats it and he takes his fill and he falls back asleep. And then it happens again. The angel wakes him up. And now he's got this like miracle loaf of bread because he can't go back to sleep. Now he's going to go walk for 40 days and 40 nights to this cave to meet God, which is actually the same cave that Moses met God in, which is super cool. So, um, so he goes down and, and it's just really powerful story. And what's powerful about this? Well, let me explain this to you. The first time that that God woke up Elijah, or the angel woke him up, he was providing for his physical and his emotional needs, right? He was hungry. He was physically drained. Um, We, I think most of us know what it's like to be emotionally drained and to need, um, you need sustenance, right? Even though you don't want it, you need it. And that enabled Elijah to sleep and rest better and more fully. So God provided for his emotional and physical needs. And then he wakes him up a second time, with this miracle bread, and um, I need some miracle bread in my life that doesn't have any carbs, right? So he, he wakes him up with this miracle bread that's going to allow him to walk for 40 days and 40 nights without needing anything else in order to meet with God, in order to get him to provide for his spiritual needs, right? So God, God knew that he needed, he wanted to fulfill all of the needs in his life, right? He wasn't going to leave his child just alone and destitute and full of want and need. And we see this happen with Jesus again in the New Testament. He feeds the 5,000. It's actually more than that. The Bible says 5,000 men. There were women and children there too. And so he feeds them. He provides them with a physical need. And the next day, they wake up and Jesus is gone. He's crossed the lake. And so they follow him. And they find Jesus and they're like, dude, like where's our bread? So they basically were like treating Jesus like the replicator in Star Trek. You know, like, computer, give us two glasses of water and a loaf of bread. Yeah. And, um, I had to help her with the replicator, but she got me. it. I know it was the, the computer, computer that makes existed. food before I got yeah. you know, to review the notes. Yeah, the replicator. So <laughs> Google Docs, you can collaborate on things. Um, no, so they, they were treating Jesus like, they, they even told him, like, hey, dude, you're like Moses. Like, you're just providing bread from the sky. It's awesome. And then Jesus tells them in John chapter 6, I'll read it to you. It says, so Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never grow hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. And so they came to him with a physical need, which he filled, by the way, right? But then they came, and then, but he said, but listen, I'm going to take care of your spiritual needs too. I am the way. I'm the one who's going to take care of you. You'll never be hungry spiritually again. You'll never be thirsty spiritually again. And so, so this is this attribute of wanting to provide for children's needs is, is interwoven into women. And we can really see this reflected in motherhood as well. A big key attribute of God is forgiveness and the desire to show mercy. Uh, we see this in his relationship with the Israelite people all throughout the Old Testament. They had this way of highs and lows. They would be committed, then they would fall back away. 
And what, what we see the Lord doing there is continually wanting to restore them, provide forgiveness, to point them back to him. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus encounters people, um, you know, and there's an expectation that maybe he's going to be there to apply the law, and instead he applies mercy and forgiveness. Uh, this is all throughout scripture. I'm going to read a little bit here in Nehemiah. You don't have to turn there, but Nehemiah is an interesting, interesting book of the Bible because it occurred after the captivity. So, you know, near the end of Judah and Israel, they were taken off to captivity. Uh, the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they all happen while they're in captivity. They come back out of captivity to kind of a broken down and decrepit temple and where they were, and they were digging around in the basement, kind of, and they find the books of the law and the teaching, and they have this big kind of revival. They read the books of the law all day, and they have this kind of recommitment back to it, and so in that, they recount kind of what the Lord has done for them and all the, the kindnesses and the mercies he showed them all through their time. Um, and so I'm gonna read a couple excerpts just to show where his heart was at. Um, but they, our ancestors, behaved presumptuously. They rebelled and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and did not recall your miracles that you had performed among them. Instead, they rebelled and appointed a leader to return to their bondage in Egypt. You are a God of forgiveness merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and unfailing in your loyal love. You did not abandon them even when they made a cast image of a calf for themselves and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt or when they committed atrocious blasphemies. And I'm gonna skip ahead one more cycle of restoration and come back and they're in the same state again. Nonetheless, they grew disobedient and rebelled against you. They disregarded your law. They killed your prophets who had solemnly admonished them in order to cause them to return to you. They committed atrocious blasphemies. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their adversaries who oppressed them. But in the time of their distress, they called to you and you heard from heaven. In your abundant compassion, you provided them with deliverers to rescue them from their adversaries. It's very similar to how our moms can relate to us, right? Over and over again, she's always there to be the one that doesn't give up on us. A story from Jesus, there's the woman who was caught in adultery and the Pharisees brought her in to be uh, a test for Jesus, and he does a lot of things in this verse. Um, the experts in the law, the Pharisees brought a woman uh, who had been caught in adultery. They made her stand in front of Jesus, um, and they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it's commanded to stone to death such a woman. What do you say? And they were asking that of him to try and trap him because it kind of creates this diabolical choice that Spider-Man always has to do, like, do you save the kids in the bus or your girlfriend kind of a thing? And he kind of is there drawn on the ground. He's not paying attention. He's like, ah, oh, this is sort of child's play. What are you bothering me with it? But they say, what do you say, man? So he gets up and goes, whoever among you is guiltless may be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he bent back over and started drawing things in the dirt. Uh, totally, that's what he was doing. He was drawing in the dirt. And there is this hushed moment of silence, I would imagine, right, where everybody's like, oh, he kind of stuck it right back on us now. And they say they slowly left, the oldest first and then down to the youngest. And he's left with just him and the woman. And here's this moment where he's, he's showing mercy. He says, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Of course he knew because he was standing right there. She replied, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from Go from now and do not sin anymore. Like a, this is a landmark decision by the guy who's claiming to be the son of God. Uh, in the law of Moses, you, you did the law of Moses. That's, that's, 
That's what it's said to do. And he was coming to say, no, the new covenant I give you is about loving one another. And it's even heavily weighted more towards mercy and compassion. Um, God's ability to show the you know, desire for forgiveness way beyond the point of ever deserving it is legendary. Uh, the only other thing out there that exemplifies that, the person who holds that just for you personally is your mom. She's the one that's just like this for you uh, that will stand behind you and everybody is kind of wanting to give up on you. And now that I get to see, you know, as far as my personal connection, I see Sherry parenting our kids, Avery and Nathan, and they have this way of not learning lessons like all kids do and they continue to fight and scrap and need to be told to like empty the dishes every single day. And, and she is there to be persistent and continually push them towards being restored even though they might cry like, oh, I wanted to do it. Um, and it, it makes me realize how much my mom was pretty much a saint for that because of me. You know, I was like the terrorist in the family amongst me and my sister. I tormented her like crazy. Uh, you know, I would tie little nooses around her Cabbage Patch doll's necks and hang them from the ceiling. I would like scare, you know, I would hide in the hallway and jump out and get her. Uh, I would like put our toothbrushes in our little you know, vanity cabinet in the bathroom so when people open it up, they would fall out on you and like fall on the ground every single day for like three or four years. Oh, it was awesome. My mom though, she probably thought inside that I had all like the markings of like being the sociopathic serial killer that just got my jollies out of like torturing uh, folks. <laughs> but yeah, if you guys know me a little bit, I'm, I have some idiosyncrasies. I'm not like the most comfortable person to be around always. I work to be socially competent. I'm, I'm still an engineer at heart. But there is no lack of sinister creativity in me. And my mom and my sister got the full brunt of it. But she was so like, I, you know, all the times that my sister went to her, tears in her eyes, and Mike did this and he did that. Can you believe it? Uh, and, and she would... You know, I would get in trouble and I would say, I'll never do it again. I know that was horrible now that you say it that way. I can see how badly I hurt her feelings. That wasn't really what I was focusing on. It was just going to be funny to me. And, but then the next day would come and the temptation would be there and I would zing her again. And <laughs> I never doubted, it never occurred to me that my mom might wake up one morning and just be done. I'm throwing in the towel. She might have thought that and sort of, that's one of the reasons why she's a saint, but it never even occurred to me because that wasn't who she was. That wasn't her character. She was always the one that was there. And that's who your mom is for you. She's the one. Despite your faults, despite your mistakes, she's always going to be there to back you after everyone has uh, given up. Um, she'll always hang on to the desire to see you restored. And we need her to do that because, you know, as a dad, I struggle that, with that. I'm not the one that like should be breaking up the fights between the siblings sometimes because it makes me so mad. Like I already, I yelled at you about this yesterday and you haven't learned it. And I get angry and, because that's not in me, but it's in Sherry because that's kind of the quality that is exhibited more in women than it is in men. Yeah. One of the, the things that really frustrated Mike when the kids were little is when they were upset, they wanted to come to me. And he didn't take it personally. Like if that, if our roles were changed, I would have completely taken it personally. You know that my kid didn't want me. But um, <laughs> but for him, it was just he was frustrated that he couldn't be helpful in a in like a high stress situation, right? And his way to help was to like take the kid and console them. Uh, but that was never really what what they they wanted uh, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> 
But we, the fun, it's fun now because we're on the other side of it, so we get to see like people in our community group struggle with that, and we just kind of go, yeah, we, we know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, this still plays out for, for me with my daughter in the sense that we butt heads. She's going to be 11, and it feels like she's going on 18, you know. Um, so we butt heads quite a bit, and we homeschool, so there's extra opportunities for headbutting because uh, we're just with each other just a lot. And, um, but no matter what kind of day we've had, at the end of the day, you know, when we're sitting on the couch, we, we want to cuddle up with one another, and she wants to have kind of that comfort of her mom. And, and that's true for me even now in my 30s. You know, if I'm having a hard day, especially emotionally, I, I call my mom. You know, this guy's really awesome, um, but there's something about a mom's comfort, a mom's consolation that, that is inexplicable. And so, um, so this is, again, something that, that God has designed. This is a reflection of God in women. It's a reflection of God in mothers, that they just have this ability to provide comfort and, and console in a way that's, like, hard to describe. Um, we see God kind of personify himself this way in the Old Testament quite a bit. He even says, like, when he's talking about the Israelites, he says, I want to pull you to my bosom. He, he wants to pull you in and console them because he can see them struggling and he just wants to, like, come on, guys, come close, like, draw in. And Daniel, during his times of, of despair, would cry out to God for comfort because he was lonely sometimes. He's, like, holed up in a cave and he's lonely and he knows that God is his comfort. Uh, in Isaiah God describes himself a couple times. Um, in ver chapter 51, he says, I, I am the one who consoles you. A few chapters over, he says, As a mother consoles a child, so I will console you, and you will be consoled over Jerusalem. God is our ultimate comforter. He is. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us a tongue twister to read, so you guys have to bear with me. But in, in the first chapter, starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed is the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow toward us, so also our comfort through Christ over towards you. So through this passage, we learn that God is the God of mercy and of all comfort. And then he says, just as you have been comforted by me, you can now comfort others in the way that you've been comforted. And so we have this almost obligation when we've experienced the comfort of God to then share it with others who've been comforted or who need God's comfort. And um, we can see this play out within the family. We can see it play out. I don't know if you've ever seen a toddler whose mom is like consoling them. And then the toddler is like patting their mom's back too, you know? And it's really cute, but it's something that, it, like it's a culture that's been set in their family. Like, hey, this is what we do. Like I pick you up, I pat you, and then you pat me and we're good, you know? Um, when Avery, her first day of preschool, I get this call from the preschool, right? She's been in preschool for an hour of her life, and I get a call, and I'm like, oh my gosh. And so I answer it, and the director's call because there's been, there's a, a kid there who's been really upset because they're away from their parents, and Avery has taken it upon herself to be that kid's comforter. And um, yeah, such a, a cool thing because, you know, unknowing really, I wish I could be like, yeah, we did that on purpose. We like create a culture of comfort in our house. Um, but that's not, that was just, you know, she had learned that from, from us. She had learned that from our family, that this is what it is to comfort, uh, to provide comfort for people mm -hmm. who are upset. And so, um, you know, I think it can be 
it can be, there are some of us who don't have that luxury of, of mom, right? Maybe she's passed or maybe, um, maybe you just weren't gifted um, the mom that God intended you to have, you know? But God is, he's just described, he is all comfort, right? He's the one that we go to when we need to be comforted. I know for me, um, there's times in my life when I've cried out to him and he's provided that, um, that peace that, that surpasses all understanding, Paul tells us. And, um, and so, you know, God's given us this, this vessel in mom, this reflection of his character to experience that comfort, but he is the ultimate comforter. Mm-hmm. You know, as we start to close out here, the big aha moment that we're hoping you start to draw is maybe our special connection with mom and Mother's Day isn't all just about mom being mom. It's about her also displaying key attributes of God that we see him through her and that helps us be attracted to who she is and, and, and it's because we were built that way. Um, God made her specifically to display those attributes. It was intentional. Uh, she's more than just the person to change your diaper or break up fights between siblings. You know, she was created to be a very clear example of his mercy, his loyalty, desire to forgive when it's not deserved, desire to provide sustenance, desire to comfort. He has been made for all of those things and we need her to do that for us, some more than others, because that's the best way that we get communicated to is through examples and through uh, symbols. It's, it's not much different than actually the expectation on all of us in different ways. Today we're talking about mom, but if you go back to Genesis, we were all created in his image. We all have a role to demonstrate some element of who God is to the world around us. That's how he's communicating us and he's communicating who he is He's created the church to bring us together so that as a group, we can personify those elements. Today, we're talking about moms and celebrating moms and these things that are part of her. Uh, And why is it special? Because those things that she does, it makes us love her fiercely. That's the best, I mean, you fiercely love your mom. You wanna protect her. There's no offending mom because of what she's done and what she's meaning to you. Well, make the connection that the intention is that we would love our God that same way, that same fierce love, the same fierce love that caused David to be like, what the heck? We gotta get this giant out of here. He's not gonna offend our Lord. The same kind of passionate love, we should have that for our God because he is all those things that mom is and so much more because she is the way she is because of him. Yeah, and, and you know, in closing, we, we know that each of us has, brings different experiences and emotions to the table when it comes to motherhood. And maybe some of us feel like we kind of got the short end of the stick when it came to mom, or we didn't get enough time with our mothers. And, and the, the thing that we want you to walk away with this morning is that God is, like Mike said, all of those things, right? He's the ultimate provider of our needs. He's the ultimate comforter. He's the ultimate um, merciful and all-forgiving God, right? And so God is in the business of redeeming. He's in the business of renewing. And so, um, you know, no matter our struggles, no matter our experiences, he wants you to be renewed and he wants you to be redeemed in that area. Would you guys stand with us? And we'll pray. Lord, you know us so well because you created us down to every sinew and every little part of us and you know how to teach us. You know how to demonstrate things to us through symbols. So thank you for your strategy of putting those things uh, right where we need them so that we can learn about you. Um, Forgive us for the areas where we haven't lived up to what you wanted, for where things have failed and not turned out the way you intended. Um, But also thank you so much for our moms and the example that she provides. Help us to 
make that even more valuable by translating our love and our fierce connection with our mom to you as she models uh, that relationship to us. Lord, we love you. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a good Mother's Day.